Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having us here again tonight. It's just uh, just allowing us to sort of share our hearts. I get to do it with James and it's so, it's so good, isn't it, buddy? We are, we are in a series called Sowing Love, if you haven't been around for a while. Sowing Love. And I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm just going to say, it's probably the most important series that you'll hear this year. I know a little bit of what's coming up is going to be amazing, all that sort of stuff. But the reason I think this is so vital, so important for us as a church, is it's the one thing that we are called to do as a people of God. It's the only reason why we're still here is that we get to sow the love of Jesus into our community. That's why it's so very, very important. I actually believe that if you embrace what we're going to be sharing tonight and, uh, and you actually do it, I actually believe that we're going to change the world. Because the world's been changed before by people who have extraordinarily Love. So as we're about to get into it, let me pray my favourite prayer. This is my favourite prayer. Bow your heads. You ready? Here we go. Oh God, help. Amen. All right. <laughs> that is seriously my, my favourite prayer. I've prayed it so many times. i pray it all day. Oh God, help us to love like Jesus is loved. Now, I, now I'm going to give you what we're talking about right up front because it's like, you know, it's getting late and yeah, probably haven't eaten and maybe your bladders can't hold out and you might just end up go, going. But I'm going to give you the, the hub, the, like the, the centre of what we're talking about tonight. And if this is all you get from tonight and you start living that out, happy days. All right, it's going to be great. So three words. And, and if, again, if you can emblazon this in your mind and you can embed it in your heart so it comes out through your hands and your mouth and your feet wherever you go, wherever God takes you, then it, it, it will be life-changing. takes time sometimes, but it will be life-changing and transforming for somebody else. Now, the, the, the warning I'm going to give you is when I give you these three words, you might have a little bit of internal pushback. You might go, I'm not so sure about this because it kind of sounds a little negative and I was sharing with someone this morning after this morning service and they said, um, so what are you speaking about tonight? And I told him and he went, oh, he's not here, is he? Anyway, <laughs> I went, that's all right, that's all right, you know, just hang in there with me. So don't push back straight away, just hang in there with me. So here's the three words and after that, do what you like. Here we go. I want you to live questionable lives. Oh, what? <laughs> Live questionable lives. Now, the reason you tend to, in some ways, push back, well, my friend pushed back this morning, is because that idea of questionable, well, it's questionable, isn't it? We, it's kind of a negative kind of feel. And in fact, since we, uh, we did this at Maitland, I've heard on the news this word come up so many times. They're talking about, oh, the government's got this policy happening, and oh, I think it's a bit questionable, you know? And, or someone said this, and oh, I'm not sure that what they said was true. I think it's a bit questionable. It just comes up all the time. And what it means, and I don't have to tell you, but let's just get on the same page. What questionable means actually says there's something that just doesn't feel right or seem right or look right and we need to dig below the surface and we need to find out what's going on. In other words, we need to ask questions that cause us to find out what the truth is, to find out what is really going on. Now, what I want to do 
with those three words, live questionable lives, is I want to flip the script on it. I love doing that because when you hear the word questionable, I want you to think something positive, all right? In other words, I, I want you to think your life is, is so different to everybody else, they're going to ask questions about why you do what you do, you live the way you live, you say the things you say. What makes you so different? Like, I mean, think about work. I mean, someone at work that you don't really know, they say, oh, like, you, like, I was sick, I went in for an operation, I didn't even get a text from the boss to see how I was going, but you, you I hardly, what's your name again? You, you came and visited me in hospital and you brought some chocolates and we sat and talked for a while. You didn't eat a single chocolate, it was great. Like, who does that? Who visits someone they don't really know? I mean, I went away on holidays and I didn't, what am I going to do about collecting mail and mowing my lawns? But you did it anyway. Like, who does that? Like, I, I was running short at the end of the week of a bit of money and you gave me a couple of hundred bucks and, and I, I said, don't pay me back, just, that's yours, it's a gift. I mean, who does that sort of thing? And they start to ask questions. They may not say it out loud, but they start to think and maybe start to ask you questions about why you do what you do, why you say what you say, why are you so kind, why are you so forgiving, why are you so gracious? They start asking questions. That's the kind of questionable lives that I believe God wants us to live. Now, that's no different than Jesus. Jesus lived the most questionable life, arguably, of anybody I know. People were constantly asking him questions because he came into a culture that had everything under control, everything's set, and he came into a culture and he'd started to turn things up, not upside down. Not because he just wanted to turn things upside down, but because he was different. And he loved people and he wanted to do things that showed love to people. So the Pharisees and people who kind of had the culture uh, all locked up, they were constantly asking Jesus or asking his disciples why he did things. Like, why why do you eat with tax collectors and prostitutes? Because rabbis don't do that. Why does he do that? Like, why would, you, why would you actually touch a leper and heal them? No one touches a leper. They're like unclean. Why would you touch a woman who's bleeding? Because no one does that. And they're constantly asking Jesus, why, why, do you, why don't you wash your hands? before you eat a meal. We're not talking hygiene here, we're talking about ceremonial washing. Like, why, why don't you do that? I mean, that's what we do, but you don't. And they're constantly asking Jesus question after question because he lived a questionable life. Now, the challenge for us, I think, is that we just don't normally live questionable lives. People might ask questionable, uh, or have questions about us on the negative side of things, because often Christians are seen as people who kind of either, you know, point the finger at you and, or, you know, or wag the finger, you shouldn't do that, you mustn't do that. And, there's, and they'll say, oh, yes, there's a few questions about Christians. And, you know, I've had that leveled at me and I've been quite hurt. You know, you'd call yourself a Christian and you. And I, to be honest, it wasn't fair, it was wrong. But people are looking for that sort of stuff. And sometimes people see us and they ask the question about the ne on, from the negative point of view. But sometimes I think... Um, we just kind of live very vanilla lives. <laughs> we were just like, we're, we're just, there's nothing amazing about us. We're just kind of ordinary. 
I'm ordinary. It's okay to be ordinary. But there's nothing about us that people go, oh, gee, I'd love to be a Christian. I'd love to be a follower of Jesus because we just kind of live those vanilla kind of lives. There's one guy who I love, um, a guy called Leonard Ravenhill. He said, people don't want what we have. We're just not radiant enough. <laughs> He's going, why would you want what we've got when we don't live lives that are so different, so radically different to the rest of society? I mean, after all, we go to the places other people go, we say the same, the same language other people have, we're, we're just no different to anybody, we spend our money on the same sorts of things, we, we're just no, no different, and apart from disappearing for a couple of hours on a Sunday to go to where was, ah, oh, church, that's right. Apart from that, there's nothing different about our lives. But the challenge I want to give you, and I want to give myself, really, is that we need to live questionable lives, so that when people see us, they go, what is it about you? What makes you so very, very different? So from that, we could go to a number of passages right through uh, the New Testament because the whole New Testament is about how do we live a life as followers of Jesus? It's just heaps of stuff through there. Uh, but God put in my heart this particular passage tonight and um, funnily enough, it's been affirmed right up till this morning. I didn't plan this, but it was actually my devotional for today. I, got, I read through the Bible every year and today was the day that Colossians 4 came up. I didn't plan, that's just how so I thought, okay, this is right, Jesus, I'm going to go with this. So hopefully something tonight will drop for you and, uh, and will minister into your life tonight. The Apostle Paul, a guy called Paul who wrote this. Now Paul, if you don't know Paul, Paul was a guy who basically tried to stamp out the church. He tried to kill off Christians or imprison them. And until he became one, he met Jesus and he became one. He started planting churches all over the place, all around the Pacific Rim. And this one particularly, he didn't plant this one, but he wrote to it. And it's a church in a place called Colossae, which is deep in the kind of the heart of present day Turkey of all places. So someone else planned it, but he wrote to this church to encourage them and tell them how to live a questionable life. He didn't use those words, but basically that's what he's saying. And so just preceding what we're looking at tonight, he was talking, for example, about how we should live as husbands and wives and, um, how, and parents. How should we parent? He has a special note to say to fathers about how we should deal with children, how children should deal with parents. So it's, it's just sort of sitting... Uh, sitting there as a different way of living. He talks about uh, masters and slaves, or today in today's might be bosses and employees, and or maybe you prefer masters and slaves in your situation, I don't know. Maybe that sits with you all right. Uh, he's talking about that, and then he comes to a, situ to a, to a passage, and it's in um, chapter 4, and it feels like it's out of place, but it's not, because he just write, they write scripture in one big long bit. There's no chapter, they don't write chapter, verse kind of thing, it's just one big long conversation. And he comes to a point where it's basically saying, well, this is how we should deal as followers of Jesus so that we can live questionable lives. And he starts with something that I'm, I'm sensing that you're not going to expect because you'll look at this and you'll go, well, how can this be questionable? Because people don't really see this. He starts off with this particular bit and he says, devote yourselves to prayer. You might be thinking, how does that lead to a questionable life? Devote yourselves to prayer. I see prayer as kind of the foundation of absolutely everything that happens. We don't always see the foundations of the house. They're probably the most important part, but we don't see them all the time. 
But that's the foundation of all that we are, if we devote ourselves to prayer. But here's what I know about you, because I know about, about myself, and that is we are all devoted people. We're devoted to something. We're always devoted to whatever it might be that's captured our imagination or captured our interest at the time. The question I want to ask, though, are you devoted to prayer? Are you committed to that? Are, is that part of who you are? Does your life actually show that you pray and you have that open relationship of listening and speaking to your heavenly Father? Because that is the foundation that Jesus had. He began all ministry, everything he did. He began with prayer. And interestingly enough, prayer is the foundation of the church, the early church exploding. So in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves. So this is the early Christians. They devoted themselves to, to a few things. First of all, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Right? They sat on the teaching. That's what you're doing now. Not an apostle in that sense, but you know, they, they listened to the apostles' teaching and they had fellowships. They got together, ate together, and they celebrated communion and so on. And they devoted themselves to prayer and the church exploded. And the community completely changed. You imagine thousands of people coming into the kingdom of God in one day. Crazy stuff, but that's what happened. That's why I say we can change our community if we pray. We begin with pray, prayer. And he says, so devote yourselves to prayer. And then he, he gives two things. He says, do it with thanksgiving and be watchful. Be watchful with thanksgiving. The two come together. I want to take thanksgiving first, all right? So this is kind of how you position yourself. This is how, how you come to God in prayer. You come to him with thanksgiving. And I'll tell you why. I think what happens with thanksgiving is this. When we thank somebody for something, we attach our attention on them. So for example, if I was to say, um, I, I think Ian... Barston is an amazing person. He's at every single service. He's extraordinary. Uh, and, you know, he does a fantastic job with the slides, all that stuff that comes up. Would you agree? Yeah, right. <clears throat> yeah, not, not too much. Um, <laughs> no, give it to him. Uh, and I think he's a fabulous person. What's happening? Your imagination is going to who? Man, it's going to him. You're thinking about, yeah, Barston is pretty good. He's a fantastic guy, loving the bits. And, you're, and because we're thanking him for what he does, our attention is drawn to him. So when we're thanking our Heavenly Father, instead of coming with a laundry list of, this is what I want you to do, Jesus, for me today. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. He wants us to lean on him. He wants us to trust him. There's nothing wrong with that. But instead of it just being that, we come to him thanking him for who he is, thanking him for what he's already done in our lives, thanking him for what he's going to do in that particular day. It sort of positions us before him in the right way. Does that make sense? And so that's why it's important that we come into prayer thanking him. And the second thing is we are to be watchful. Watchful simply means that we get to be spiritually aware of what is going on in the time. What's happening? Because sometimes it's bad spiritual influences Often it's good. We need to see, well, what is good and what is bad? I'll tell you what, when I go to prayer, there's so many distractions, there's so many things that the evil one wants me to not pray. There's so many things coming into my head. And honestly, I pray continually. I'm saying, I, I basically take authority over the stuff that I don't want in my head and I 
in the name of Jesus, tell it to go. And Jesus, you come and fill me. I only want to hear from you. It happens, it works every time, but I have to do that constantly when I pray. I've got to be, devote my mind to what God wants me to hear. And so we need to be aware of what's happening, what's happening in the heavenlies and what else is going to interrupt that. And we need to be very aware of what's going on. Jesus said it to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. He said, keep watch and pray. Keep watch and pray. Be aware of what is going on. Because I believe when we do that, we're going to get our marching orders for the day. We're going to get... An idea of what God wants to do through us. He, we might get a picture of how he wants to engineer our circumstances so that we can then love on people and uh, start living out that questionable life that people will start asking about. And then finally, in his whole area of prayer, he says, pray for me. I want to get this right. Uh, he says... Um, I'm ahead of myself, look at that. Pray for us too. So he's with a group of people. He says, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Now, here's the situation. When Paul is writing this, he is in house arrest. So he's either in a house and he's got a centurion soldier in the house, um, you know, keeping an eye on him so he doesn't escape. Or he might even be manacled to a soldier with chains or whatever. We, we don't really know but everyone thinks that he's under arrest but Paul knows that the soldier's under arrest right he's got a cap Paul's got a captive audience for the good news of Jesus in fact at the end of Philippians he says oh all of Caesar's household greet you and in other words he's he has actually shared the gospel with a soldier or someone in Caesar's household and it's just spreading like this just spreading through Caesar's household so he says, pray that I, not that I get, not that I get out of imprisonment in any way. He says, pray that I proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He just wants to be clear with what he's sharing. For us today, for me, it's basically, we need to, we need to basically be praying, uh, talking to Jesus about people before we talk to people about Jesus. We need to bring people to Jesus and talk about people to Jesus before we talk to people about Jesus. And so that's what we need. It starts with prayer. Come on, James. I become. It starts with prayer. <clears throat> to live questionable lives, we need to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. But what is wisdom? You see, the dictionary defines it as this. Wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. The quality of being wise. Now, this wisdom is going to be a little bit different to the wisdom I'm discussing. The wisdom I'm discussing is the wisdom that is not just thought, it's spoken. It's acted out in our lives. It's a wisdom that is in complete contrast to the world. It's a wisdom that honours the Lord in all we do, in all the conversations we have with people of faith, and with people without faith. They need to be un able to understand what we're saying. We can't use Christianese language. We need to use terms that they'll understand if they've never stepped foot in a church before. You see, I feel like 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 7 to 10 kind of states as well. It says, Do you know that all over the provinces of both Macedonia and Achaia, believers look up to you? The word has gotten around. Your lives are echoing the master's 
the master's word, not only in the provinces, but all over the place. The news of your faith in God is out. We do not even have to say anything anymore. You're the message. People come up and tell us how you received us with open arms, how you deserted the dead idols of your old life so you could embrace and serve God, the true God. They marvel at how expectantly you await the arrival of his son, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from certain doom. Now, I want to ask you guys a question. Who here has friends who don't have a faith? Now, you don't need to put a hand up. That's all right. But just think about it. Just think about it. Who here has friends who don't have a faith? You see, it can be so easy to surround yourself with people from church, but it can be so much harder to surround yourself with people from this world. Um, I want to ask you guys, how can we be wise in the way we act towards outsiders if we don't associate ourselves with any? Can you imagine if Jesus came and he only hung out with people from church? Like, it kind of ruins the whole point of him coming here in the first place. When I was a young kid, I always stood out, I stand out now, and this was something I really struggled with. You see, I remember one night, maybe I was like in your nine, your ten, and I was just praying, I was like, God, like how much more of a miracle would it be if you made me tall tonight? Like that'd be amazing. And then I kind of got to this idea of Jesus didn't make us to stand in, he made us to stand out. And by me not Becoming tall and that miracle being performed, I'm going to have more of an impact on those around me than I would if a miracle was performed. And you see, Jesus did not make us to stand in. He made us to stand out. This is why living questionable lives is so vital. Standing out means to live boldly, live in faith, and use the wisdom of God in every situation of life, in every conversation, both with people from church and people without a faith. Similarly to this, we read in the passage before, In verse 10, and it says, They marvel at how expectantly you await the arrival of his son, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from certain doom. This kind of talks about making the most of every opportunity. Kind of means buying up the time. Don't miss a single opportunity to pray for someone, to bless someone, to eat with someone, to have conversation with someone, even to talk to someone. You see, we need to say yes. The word has gotten around. This is what verse 8 states. It said, the word has gotten around. Your lives are echoing the master's word, not only in the provinces, but all over the place. The news of your faith in God is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You're the message. We live so much of our life in fear rather than in faith. You see, a few months ago, I had the opportunity to go skydiving. And if you know me, I'm insanely scared of heights. Like, that is not a joke. I hate heights. I was over, like, roller coasters, not a thing. Like, hate heights. I had a belief that if I was in that plane and I jumped out, I'd probably be all right. But I could never have the faith to actually take that step out of the plane. I had a belief that the parachute would hold me safe, but I never had faith in the parachute to actually step out. You see, I, in the first photo, I'm full of fear. And in the second photo... Faith had set in, and I'm, I'm chilling, I'm flying, it feels good. Uh, but I want to ask you guys this question. What in your own life is holding you back from every opportunity? Is it the fear of rejection? Is it the fear of failure? Is it the fear of being judged, of persecution, of being broke, or is it even anxiety? I don't want to get to the end of my life and say these three words. I should have. I should have told my friend about Jesus. I should have been more generous. I should have been
been more adventurous. I should have not leaned on my own understanding, but lived in faith that Jesus' plan for my own, for my life, is so much greater than my own. But at the end of my life, these are the words I want to say. The words I did. I did proclaim the word of God. I did love others. I did live generously. I did have adventures. I did live my life in faith and trust that Jesus led every single step of the way. In January this year, we had the opportunity to go to Japan with Caleb and Damo and two of my other mates. And you see, that opportunity was a big blessing. And it was one of the first mornings when we're out doing beach ministry. It's like two degrees, freezing cold. We're kind of just like chilling there, talking to the surfers, giving out some coffees. And that man in the middle there uh, next to Eli, I can't remember his name, but he was just walking past and he just came and sat with us for a few hours and just loved to chat. And we were there, we were talking to him, and then he asked to come to lunch with us when we went to lunch, and we were like, like a little bit annoyed at the conversation, but it was also really good, and we went out to lunch with this dude, and it turned into an amazing place. And uh, we got the opportunity to bring heaven into a place that was not heavenly already. And um, this kind of shows me what the kingdom of God is like. You see, the kingdom of God is what rules, and it's what reigns. It's where his love is never ending, and it's where his kindness is all through our hearts. We kind of hear this in verse 9. It states, People come up and tell us how you received us with open arms, how you deserted the dead idols of your own life, and how you could embrace and serve God, the true God. So the kingdom of God is anytime someone is healed, anytime a family is stitched back together, anytime someone or something is redeemed, anytime a heart is changed. Anytime someone becomes a new believer, the kingdom of God is altogether, it's God's deed. When Satan was defeated on the cross, the kingdom of God was so evident in what Christ did. When someone comes to Christ, the kingdom of God, anytime questionable love is shown, it's the kingdom of God. So I want to ask you guys something. How are you going to live questionable lives and show the kingdom of God through, your, through his glory in your day-to-day lives? And we'll invite John back up and he'll close us out for the night wherever he is. Awesome. Hey, mate. Wow, a good stat. Thanks, buddy. I was in a, uh, a pharmacy last Thursday week and just getting some scripts filled and uh, getting my uh, next COVID shot. Um, and you had to fill out a whole lot of forms or a long form for COVID shot. And I was in this pharmacy and it was Thursday, which means all the pensioners were out because they had money and they were out in there. It's just true. That's me. Come on. <laughs> that's, when they, that's when they get money and they're able to spend, I'm just guessing, but you know, the shop um, was just filled with maybe 20, 25 people in this area. And I was sitting down on a chair filling out a form and... This lady who had severe mental issues, I mean severe, came into the room and everyone knew she was there because she, God didn't give her a, a voice box, he gave her a megaphone. It's like so loud that everybody's turning around looking at her and then real, pulling under their breath going, don't give her eye contact, don't give her eye contact. They're like, don't. They didn't want to, so you could tell, you could see people. And I was one of them. I, I was sitting there, kept my head down and writing and of course... She picked me, didn't she? And um, she walked up and she, this is, and I say this with love, right? She said, hello, 
how are you? Like that. Now the whole pharmacy in the postcode <laughs> heard the question and, uh, and in that nanosecond, basically, God just dropped all these thoughts and these pictures and ideas in my head. And does anyone ever have that? It's like, normally if you read out all the thoughts in the script, you go, take me half an hour, but he does it like that. And it all comes into your head. And the, the summary of it was like, this is, a, this is a daughter of God. This is a child that Jesus died for. How are you going to interact with her? Just like that, straight into my head. And normally, maybe like everybody else, you'd probably give a, a simpering smile and go, hello, excuse me, I've got to fill the fire. And Jesus just, he just nudged me, he challenged me. And so I put the pencil down, stopped filling out the form. And I said, hello, how are you going today? And she said, oh, really good, really loud. And, and she said, um, what's your name? And I said, my name's John. And what's your name? I interacted with her. She said, my name's Judy. I said, hello, Judy. How are you going? And everybody could hear this. It's so loud, including me by now. And, uh, and we got the talk. And then she said, you're a very nice man. And I thought, if only you knew. I'm just not that nice. I thought I was, but if only you knew what was going on in my heart when you first spoke to me. I just said, you're a very nice lady too, Judy. Her name's not Judy, by the way, but anyway. And she walked off. And, kind of, and, and you know, I look at the situation and I think, that, was, that wasn't for her. That, well, maybe it was, but it was for me. That's for me to realise that I actually don't have the capacity to love this person in the flesh, but Jesus does. Something had to die in me for him to be able to live his life through me, for him to be able to love through me. Jesus said that the we, uh, he said, a new command I give to you that you love one another. And we know they would have gone, yeah, the disciples know, I know, we know that. But he says, love one another as I have loved you. In other words, there's something else going on here. It's the love of Christ. I kind of, I don't know this for sure, but I kind of think that maybe Jesus knew that we can't, actually can't love to the degree that he loves. But he can love through us if we die to ourselves. We, and we could, to, do, to live a, a questionable life, we've got to die to ourselves to allow the love of Christ to love through us. Because we, we just don't have the capacity, I don't believe, in the flesh to do that. The last non-Christian Caesar ruler of Rome in the mid-300s was a guy called uh, Justin the Apostate. Not a very nice name to have. Apostate is just a person who throws away the faith, right? And he was trying to bring in neo-paganism back into Rome. The Christians were sort of having a good time in Rome. You know, Christianity was kind of growing. And he, he realised that he wasn't getting much traction. These are just my words, dumbing down decades of history into a bit. But he wasn't getting much traction... Um, bringing neo-paganism into, into the world because people in Rome were falling over each other to come into the Christian faith. And he realised that the reason they wanted to become followers of Jesus was because the Christians loved so much. Remember I said we can change the world? This is the last non-Christian ruler of Rome. Of course, Christianity just exploded <laughs> and took over Rome. 
And so he told his senators and the leaders uh, at the time, he said, I order you to go out and out-love the Christians. That's an order. All right. Not literally those words, but that's what he told them to do. You've got to go out and out-love them. And of course, they couldn't because they didn't have the love of Christ in them. We have the love of Christ in us. If we die to ourselves, live questionable lives. And just when you think you might be getting some, making some headway and some traction, this happened to me recently. I was just reading through uh, Thessalonians in my normal devotional and uh, it said this, it says, resist revenge and make sure that no one pays back evil in place of evil. And I read that and I mean, you don't have to be alive very long before you've been hurt. You've been stabbed in the back or someone said something about you that was not true and you've been hurt. Anyone not been hurt in this room? No one. Everyone has had some, some form of pain inflicted upon them with someone else. And I was looking at that and I've had plenty of that. And I looked at that and I thought, I started to feel a little bit smug about myself because I thought, I haven't taken revenge I, I didn't pay back evil with evil, so I started to feel a little bit smug. And then the Holy Spirit said, read the rest of the verse, you twit. And I said, but, and I always hate the word but, because I know, oh, good grief, what have I missed? He says, always pursue doing what is beautiful to one another and to all the believers. I had not done that. Yeah, I hadn't taken revenge and I felt pretty good about myself. But he's saying, pursue doing what is beautiful. Pursue doing love to the people that hurt you. Because that's what Jesus did. Come, Stu. Stu's going to minister to us in a moment, but just now. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. If, if you've ever experienced a lack of love, from a follower of Jesus and you're sitting here tonight and that's stopping you, that's become a hurdle for you becoming a Jesus follower tonight. I, I, first of all, I just want to say I'm so sorry. I am so very, very sorry when you've had the p finger pointed at you or wagged at you or whatever the situation was, that's not Jesus. It's not how followers of Jesus are meant to be. We're meant to live lives that would cause you to ask questions about how we love so deeply and how we forgive so deeply and broadly and how gracious and how kind we can be. I just want to say sorry for that. But maybe tonight, maybe uh, I believe God's in this place and, and we have a great faith for what God wants to do tonight. But maybe tonight you've just heard enough and maybe you've experienced the love of God in your life. And tonight is the night that you want to say, I want to get on board with what Jesus is doing in my life. I want to commit my life to him for the first time. I want to give following Jesus a go and experience that kind of love and be that kind of love as well. If that's you tonight, just say, yeah, that's me too. That's me too. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use 
to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.